In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Today's talk is about choices. Paul is appealing, Moses is exhorting, and Jesus is setting it all out. Choices, big choices, little choices, life and death or lifestyle choices. Our lives are full of choices, and we define ourselves by the choices that we make. To the extent that we may make choices, we may exercise freedom, and we think of the two as synonymous. As we are able, we seek to exercise our freedom at times and places of our own choosing, and the goal of all our lives would be to be able to exercise that freedom in ever-increasing spheres of activity. Given enough health and enough wealth, what good is one without the other, we might one day be happy, better, our life might have meaning. And inasmuch as we might achieve that by our own efforts, for what better end could we strive? So we should set our faces forward and look to run the race that lies ahead, maybe. But what if we run with a handicap, shall we say? And not one imposed in acknowledgement of our manifestly superior qualifications, the sweet fruit of what we have acquired by our hard labor, but rather the implicit, unacknowledged, and unknown inferiority, deficiencies that we have inherited, the sour grapes that have been bequeathed to us by our parents, our culture, our origins, that now set our teeth on edge and dull our edge as we set forth to compete for that not-so-certain future. But if your hearts turn away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, Moses says, then the blessing in the land will not be yours, rather the curse. What if our heart then is already turned, turned to the things that will not last by the twists and turns we have taken in life as we sought to negotiate the slaloms and navigate the shoals and reefs that our life set before us without our even asking? The survival strategies that seemed so inevitable and worked so well in the closed confines of the world made for us by those who held us to account. Adaptations we made when presented with the choices that tracked us down and sought us out, blessings and curses indeed, imposed by those with power over any security or safety or sense of self we had, who constantly put us down, and yet who sought nothing more than to bring us up to succeed at a game of their choosing that shaped them long ago, and now will allow them to live their unlived lives through us. I'm speaking of our parents, of course, and I speak as a parent. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. There is the debate, of course, on what Jesus means by hate, in the dyadic world of the ancient Near East, where honor and shame set the agenda, and not health and wealth, and family of origin was all that one needed by way of an identity, 
Choices were few and their consequences were weighed according to the cost to the group, first and last. Whether hate is an affect here, something personal, fraught with anger, with felt emotion as today, or indicates an interpersonal shift, a disengagement from the clan or tribe into which one was born is hard to determine. Determine or not, what of the commandment? You know, honor your father and mother. Jesus might have been acquainted with this text and its intent, yet again and again, Jesus seems to step into a liminal place between this world and the world to come, between the fallen creation and the new creation. The law says, he says, but I say. There is something beneath the text and beyond it at work here, now coming into plan in salvation history. Either way, in our own family history, we find as we grow up that we carry baggage that we did not bring into this world with us, unknown to us, and this is the key. And what is unknown controls us, limits our freedom, even as it freely and unhindered has its way with us. We leave home as young adults and set forth already living someone else's life. Conditioned and constrained by what we take for granted, what we assume to be necessity, the way things are, the way things have to be. And what we take for granted takes us and takes hold. What we were need not have been the way it was, and what we might have been may never come to be, even if it is that to which we are called even by God. There is no necessity even in our divine vocation. Because as long as we are necessitated by what we do not know, that of which we have not been made conscious, painfully aware, will exercise an unseen influence like the hamartia, the fatal flaw in the tragic hero of Greek drama on the outworking of our lives. Do we count the cost that these deficiencies will extract when we plan the number of our days, or do we set our sights, our head, say, damn the torpedoes, and bravely move on? At some point, we will run out of steam and have to reckon with the unfinished business we've left behind. The sins of the fathers and the mothers and ours now, and we've added a few. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Laws or no laws, our sanctification begins where the law leaves off. And we work out our own salvation, our own rescue, our own disentanglement from the sins of our youth freely. God could do it all. God does not. In some sense, of course, Jesus has done it all already. So forgive and forget. Let's move on, as that cruel euphemism commands, as if such were really possible as if we could get away with, let alone get away from, the wrongs we have done, the wrongs done to us that we have not undone and done to everyone around us. The path forward, then, is first of all the path back to childhood, to the unfinished business, to being small again, insignificant, seeing our ego trashed and set to the side, humbled by the knowledge that we are not our own anyway and the increasing the suspicion that God will have his way with us, whether we like it or not, one way or another. And that is good news indeed. That is the good.
good news. That God will get us, maybe sooner rather than later, to live the life for which we have been being prepared from the time the world began, the life that no one but we can live or not, to do the things that only we will do or not. In Christ, we are to set our culture, our nurture, and our nature aside as best we can. We are invited to step into the freedom to see things as they will be from the destination, the end point, the viewpoint of eternity. In Christ, there is no slave nor free, as Paul seeks to tell Philemon. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. I can't change the order of things, Paul says, the social order, and I won't. But I understand to which that order is being turned on its head even now. Scripture, like culture, is a work in progress, a work in travail, as René Girard says. We were benignly taught progressive revelation. <laughs> what a euphemistic term. It's more like a glacier grinding its way down and then grinding its way back, devouring all in its path. God condescends, as Calvin says, accommodating an eternal vision to the exigencies of specific spaces and times, and we turn around and make the specific basis and times the container into which that vision must fit for eternity. Doesn't work like that. The secret, then, is to look ahead, not to what is the best we can make the best of with our stock of skills at the ready, but to listen to the inner voice, whispering to us, calling us to new paths, giving us the capabilities we seem to lack and never dreamed of having. Something of beauty draws us, something that it must become simply because it may. Look at Abraham, look at all the saints when that great path began. And they lived by faith. They did not have faith in faith, but God gave them little more than trust that when he said move, they would step into the beyond, an inner voice seeking speak to each one of us. And I say to all of us on the way, give thanks. Use scripture as it is meant to be used as our glorious and divine pattern book, showing all the possibilities that are there. But we're ready to match our lives to the pattern of those saints who he called out of the darkness in a still, small voice. And like them, be ready to give up what we have, surrender all of it for what God has yet in store. Give thanks for that. That's our cross and trust that what God has in store is more than we may ask or imagine, yet what all of us already know and treasure in our hearts somewhere, somehow. Amen.